Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Good morning, everybody. All right, you want to turn with me over to uh, week number 15 in the story. And this morning we are going to be looking at uh, 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, and we'll be in verses 16 through 46. Or in the, cha- in the story Bible, in the story book, uh, pages 203 to 206. Let's pray as we uh, dig into God's Word together. So Lord, we thank you so much for your enduring, precious Word that reveals your greatness and your glory. It reveals to us our need for you. God, it reveals the way that you've made for us to be forgiven and redeemed and set free. So Lord, we pray this morning that your word would take root in our hearts, that you would uh, give us the gift of understanding so that we can see and behold uh, the glory in in the pages written before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this week we're, we're looking at Luke, or I'm sorry, Luke. <laughs> yeah, we were there for a long time, but we're not. <laughs> so <laughs> where are we at again? Are we <laughs> we're, in Luke, uh, we're in Luke chapter 15. No, we're in the story, uh, week number 15. And uh, this whole chapter 15 is, is about Elijah and Elisha, God's prophets, this is a phenomenal, amazing chapter. And I feel like, man, if, if, if you want to get a feel for some of the action in God's Word, this chapter is ripe with all kinds of just the, the, the gory details, the, just the, the beauty of God's redemption. Just all these things are just unfolded in this, in this chapter. And I feel like, man, if... If you haven't really started reading God's Word yet, if you've kind of delayed and getting started with the story, this would be a great week to get started. Chapter 15 is a phenomenal week, and it has to do with, with uh, the prophet Elijah. And so I wanted to encourage you, if you've not been able to, to dig into it yet, please start this week. Don't delay. It's not too late. We can, can still dig in and, and still get so much out of God's Word. And I feel like for my own, for my own life, God's Word is one of these things that reorientates me back to reality. Reorientates me back to what really matters, what's important. And so with God's Word, it, 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 it has this effect on us that God begins to minister to us and speak to us and reveal to us His ways and reveals to us our need for Him. And if, if we neglect this aspect of our walk with the Lord, it, it, we, we become malnourished. Just like we, we skip a few meals, we get really hungry, we become weak, it, things, things don't make sense. I remember we, we, were, uh, we had a week of fasting um, a year or two ago, and so I was fasting for a week, and by the end of the week, I remember just thinking about steamed vegetables. And I was, I was like, oh, steamed vegetables would be so good right now. I'm just so high. I'm like, why would I ever be hungry for steamed vegetables? That's just ridiculous. When we get hungry... Things begin to not make sense. The same way God's word helps to nourish us. It's our provision. It's God's provision for us to receive his care, his direction, 
his guidance in our lives. So please, please, please don't neglect God's precious gift to us in his word, okay? Now, we see a couple things as we, leave, as we look through the story. We're in week 15. There's 31 weeks. We're going to continue on in the series till probably sometime in May. But we see three things that continue to come up week after week after week. And we talk about these every week. But we see first and foremost that God is the sovereign creator of all things. God is the Lord. He is the king. He is the one in charge. He's calling the shots. He's the one who, who sees everything and understands everything and created everything. He is the one to be served. He is the one who is the chief, uh, supreme, and uh, most glorious thing in all the universe. He created it all. We see that from the very beginning, week number one, God is the creator. Number two, we see this, that mankind is created by God and rebellious to the core. Mankind is rebellious. Given a chance, we will rebel against the Lord every single time. We see this right away. We see we begin reading in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. It's beautiful, this picture of the Garden of Eden and this this full life given to Adam and Eve by the Lord, his provision of food and shelter and care. And in Genesis chapter 3, mankind pitches the whole thing out the window, decides to go their own way, follow Satan, and reject God's care over their lives. And we see what we see played out every single week after that is mankind's determination to rebel against the Lord. But point number three is this, that God is on a rescue mission to redeem lost humanity. Although mankind is rebellious, mankind is loved by the Lord. And every single week we also see this take place, that God is pursuing a people who are hell-bent to do things their own way. And even in the midst of that, God is still pursuing and seeking a people for himself to lavish his love and his care and his mercy upon them. Week after week after week, no matter how bad it gets, God is still pursuing a people. God's still pursuing you. If you're sitting here this morning, God is pursuing you. God is after you. It's no mistake that you're here today. It's no mistake that you're listening to God's word this morning. From before the foundation of the earth, God has ordained that you would be sitting here hearing his word this morning because God loves you. God's pursuing you, each and every one of you. God is on a rescue mission to redeem his rebellious creation. Amen? And that's what we discover here today again. The same story played out over and over and over again. We see this, these three things take place again this week in chapter 15. Now, I want to just give us a bit of a, a background before we dive into this, give us some idea of who the players are, because we're not going to be able to go through this whole chapter this morning. We're all going to focus on one aspect of this chapter. And all those chapters rich and full of, of just some good stories about God's provision and deliverance. We're only going to focus on one this morning. So I wanted just to give us a little bit of a, a context for what's going on. This morning, we're going to read about something called a power encounter. Now, power encounters are something that goes, goes all the way back in the Old Testament, but we also see this throughout history. So in the 700s, a gentleman by the name of Boniface was a missionary to the Germanic people in Germany. And while he's there, he's not seeing much 
fruit happen from his ministry, his, his outreach to the German people while he's there. And so what the people would do is they would gather around this great tree. And it was Thor's, the god Thor, his tree. And they believed, the people believed that, this, that the god Thor used this tree as a magical tree and provided for his, the people and protected the people because of this tree that was in their midst. And so Boniface had this idea. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to this tree and I'm going to chop it down. And so Boniface goes to this tree on a certain day and all the people gathered around to watch what, what Thor was going to do to, to protect his tree against Boniface. So Boniface takes the axe out and begins chopping away at the tree. And as all the people sat back waiting for Thor, the god of war and lightning, to strike Boniface dead on the spot, they waited and waited as, as, as chop after chop after chop, and he chopped the tree down. Nothing happened to him. And legend has it that he used the timbers of that tree to build a chapel. And so this was a power encounter. There was, there was like, if Thor is God, then sh- let him show himself. But if the Lord is God, then he's going to bring protection and, and care for me. We see Jesus do this in his ministry the entire time he's on earth. Jesus Christ was on a power encounter dynamic every time he stepped and he healed someone or brought deliverance. So Jesus in Luke chapter 8, right? We've been there before. Luke chapter 8, Jesus is on a, on a boat with his disciples in this raging storm. And Jesus stands up and just with his word quiets the storm. It's a power encounter. The forces of nature are battling against Jesus Christ. And he just simply with a word silences the storm. Well, immediately following that power encounter with nature... Jesus gets, they get to the land where they're going and immediately they're confronted with a person who's demon-possessed. So now the demonic forces are against Jesus Christ and they simply cast the demon out of the person. The person's healed immediately. There's another power encounter. And then, immediately following that in chapter 8, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. So one after the, one after the next, the nature, the demonic, and even death itself. Jesus Christ in the power encounter shows his power and his superiority and his strength over and against nature, the demonic, and death itself. It's a power encounter. Now, the context for where we're going to be at this morning is this. So we're going to see a power encounter take place this morning. But as we read about Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, this is one of the oldest and most well-known power encounters we see in, in God's Word especially in the Old Testament. Now, the context is this. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets in Israel. A prophet was someone who would hear a message from the Lord and then go and deliver that message to the king or to the people. And so if, if, if you wanted to know what God was saying, you'd listen to the prophet. He'd speak on God's behalf and call the people back to, back to the Lord again. And more times than not, the prophet was ignored. He was dismissed. We don't want to hear what God's saying, right? Because he would go to a people who were in rebellion against God and say, look, you need to turn back to the Lord. You need to surrender your lives to the Lord. And the people would say, we don't want to do that. We've got our own things going on. And so Elijah was a mighty prophet of the Lord. Now, secondly, we see this. We read about King Ahab. Now, King Ahab was... Not a very good king. He was an evil king. 
So much so that we read in, in the story in chapter 15, or in 1 Kings 16, we read this about Ahab. So this is about the king that we're going to read about in the story this morning. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He set new precedents in rebellion against God. I mean, this guy was breaking all the records here. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Now, Jeroboam, remember, set up the two golden calves in Israel and had Israel worship the golden calves. He said, that was, that was nothing. That, that, that's like child's play, okay? But he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So he built a temple for, for Baal. He began to worship Baal. He, man, he was all in. He was not kind of flirting around with Baal, man. He, he was like, let's get this thing on. Let's do this thing. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all of the kings of Israel before him. So that is the king we're talking about this morning. A king who is, who is hell-bent on rejecting the Lord and worshiping Baal with all of his heart. Man, he loves Baal. Man, that is like, that's his BFF. He loves Baal. Now, let me just give you some more context here for who's Baal, right? So the, the god Baal was a storm and fertility god, right? He could give fruitfulness both in the field and in the bedroom. He'd give the blessings of bumper crop, but he'd also give a yield of, of cattle. He'd provide children for people when they needed it. And so they believed that Baal was the answer to all of their problems. If you, now think about this. If you live in a, an economy based solely on agriculture, what's that called when you're agriculture or economy? What's that called? Agrarian culture. So if you're in agrarian culture, thank you, Baal would be your guy, right? You need him to step up to the plate and provide a storm, and, and you need to provide rain, and you need the, the bumper crop, and you need more cattle, and you need more children to work the farm. And so Baal was the guy for really this, this, the Israelites at this time who had an agrarian culture. Baal was the man. But also built into Baal worship was temple prostitution. So things weren't going so well at home. You weren't getting along with the wife. And you could always go down to the temple to find someone who would be able to take care of all of your needs. And Baal was the place. Baal's temple was the place to find that. And so there was this allure for Baal. There was this, this, this mystery of Baal who would be able to provide all these things for you. And so this morning we're going to begin to read about really would the real God step to the plate because Baal is going to be challenged by Almighty God. Now, let's begin reading 1 Kings 18, 16 through 46. It's a longer section, but it's important for us to read through this. So, or page 203 to page 206 in your story books. 1 Kings 18, 16 through 46 or page 203 to 206. Now, in this passage, Elijah has gone to Ahab the king, the wicked king, the evil king, and said, look, you're not going to have rain for three years. And so, lo and behold, no rain for three years. 
And so Elijah then shows up to talk to Ahab after three years of drought. And remember, if you're in an agrarian culture, drought is a huge problem for your people. When, Eli- when he saw Elijah, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your families, your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord, the Lord's commands, and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Jezebel was Ahab's wife. And Jezebel, from this passage, is is providing food for the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. So she's got this huge contingency of prophets of Baal and Asherah that she is providing for and taking care of. She's making sure that, that Baal worship is, the, is the, the religion of choice in Israel. Okay, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Now, if you remember, a few hundred years ago, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were were in the Promised Land, and Joshua, who followed Moses' footsteps, stood before the people and said, Look, Choose you this day whom you are going to serve. If the Lord is God, then follow him. And so it's this very similar language to when Joshua stood before the people in Joshua chapter 24. It said, who are you going to serve today? And in in the book of Joshua in chapter 24, the people give a resounding, we will follow the Lord. We will serve him. We will follow in all of his ways. We will give our lives to serving the Lord. But today, they don't get that response. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Hey, we're going to see a show today. We like this. Bring it on. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from the morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. 
So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, and as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. This is the bottom line right here. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of flour, of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. Get this. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. This is an unbelievable story of a power encounter in the Old Testament. And here we have Almighty God Himself versus Baal. And I want to bring a couple of observations from this text for us today. Because I believe this holds a lot of relevancy for where we are at in this time, in this place. I want to bring four observations. Number one, God is not limited by geography. Okay? The, the Carmel Mountain Range, it's not just one mountain, but a, a range of mountains, was a traditional site of Baal worship. So the Assyrian king, Shalamansar, in 841 B.C., calls Mount Carmel the Mountain of Baal. So this mountain range was known as a range of mountains that Baal was worshipped on. As a matter of fact, the mountain that they're on is known as Mount Baal, Right? So you could say that Baal has a home court advantage, right? They're going against Baal in Baal's turf. This is where Baal resides. This is Mount Baal. We're going to do this thing on, on Baal's mountain. God is not hindered by geography in the least bit. It makes no difference to God. You don't have to be sitting in a church service for God to move. It doesn't have to be here on a Sunday morning between 9.30 and 11, if I go along, 11.15 or 11.30, you don't have to be sitting here on a Sunday morning for the power of God to move in your life. 
You can be anywhere. God's not hindered by geography. Doesn't have to be at a Bible study. Doesn't have to be around your other Christian friends who are talking about the Lord. God can break in whenever and wherever he wants. He's not hindered by geography in the least bit. I had a friend who came in from out of town, and we haven't seen each other in, in just a long, long time. And, and we hadn't talked in a while. We hadn't seen each other in a while. And so he, he wanted to, we said, hey, let's get together. Let's talk. Let's find out how, just what's going on in your life. And so I, I don't think he was following the Lord. I said, hey, where do you want to get together? And I said, well, let's meet at Three Floyds. It's a brewery, okay? And don't lose me on this, but we got together at Three Floyds, and as we're sitting there talking, sharing life, with Metallica and Megadeth pumping through the speakers, we begin to talk about the gospel and who Jesus Christ is and the work that God's done in my life. And I thought in the midst of this, what many would consider a pagan place with all kinds of music playing through the speakers that you would never hear in a church service, all kinds of stuff going on. There's stuff on the walls. There's, I mean, in the middle of all of this, somehow God shows up and we're able to dialogue and talk about the things of the Lord, things that matter most. Now, he didn't, at the end of that, he didn't give his life to Christ and repent of his sins, but man, it was just a, it was a, fun, a phenomenal time together. I thought, we don't have to be sitting in a church service for God to do that. We don't have to be sitting at at a Christian coffee house for God to do that. God can meet us right where we are at. God can meet you at your work, in your neighborhood, at a friend's house, while Megadeth's playing in the background. God can show up whenever he wants, and he's not hindered in the least by geography. Second thing we see is this. Numbers are of no consequence to the Lord. It's 450 to 1. Look, the, the Vegas odds makers, look, man, this is a, this is a sure loss for, for the Lord here. He, Elijah is greatly outnumbered, 450 to 1. As a matter of fact, as, as he presents it to the people and no one says a word, everyone's pretty much siding with Baal, everyone who's around. I mean, he is all by himself. He's outmanned, he's outgunned, he's out of his league. He's got no hope. He's in big trouble. He'd be the only one at school who's following the Lord. He's the only one at his work who's following the Lord. He's the only one in his block, in his neighborhood, who's following the Lord. He's the only one of his family who's following the Lord. He's the only one in every single one of these situations who's following the Lord. Every single time, wherever he goes, whatever he does, whether it's work or home or going to the gym or wherever he is at, he is all by himself. He is outnumbered everywhere he goes. There's no safe, there's no church service to attend. He'd be the only one. I was talking with a lady who goes to, to church here at Mercy Hill, and she was relaying to me a, a conversation she had with someone else about a particular card night she was at with some friends. People, the friends that she was with, they weren't saved. So she's playing cards with a bunch of people who aren't saved. She's outnumbered. They may have been drinking alcohol, may have been playing for money. I'm not sure, but they're, they're together hanging out doing these things, right? One of the ladies in 
that is at the card table with her begins to open up about some of the struggles she's having with infertility in particular. And this lady says, well, look, can I pray for you, right? In the midst of, of the card night, right? I don't know if they're playing Texas Hold'em, No Limits. I don't know what's going on, but they're playing. They're, 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 they're having a good time, right? They're, they're playing cards. Or, and she says, can I pray for you? Now, she's out. She's outnumbered. Everyone there is looking at her like, oh, you're, you're going to get religious on us now. Oh, you're the one. Oh, there's always one in every group. You know, whatever that is. She's out. No one else is saying, hey, let's, let's lay hands on her. Let's call up. No, no one else is doing that. No one has any response to it. So she prayed for her. And everyone probably thought she was a little bit of a freak. Now, it doesn't always turn out this way, but three weeks later, her friend got pregnant after years of struggling with infertility. And I thought, God doesn't need numbers. God didn't need everyone in that, in that basement to be a Christian and really have enough faith to, to pray for this girl and see her delivered or set free or healed or whatever. He didn't need that. He just needed one just needed one. And she stepped up and said, I'll pray for you. And here it is. Elijah's on a prophet. Elijah the prophet on the mountain. No one else around is following the Lord. He's the only one. And God shows up in power. And he brings a mighty deliverance that day. Numbers are of no consequence to the Lord. Whether you are at work and you are the only one following the Lord, whether you're on your, your, the Christmas party you have on your block, the cookie exchange, whatever, whatever's going on, if you are the only one there, God can still move in power. God can still bring a mighty deliverance. Even while you're playing Texas No Limits, right? Texas Hold'em No Limits. Even while you're with all your friends, and none of them are serving the Lord. God can still show up in power. Third, activity is no inducement to the Lord. Meaning this, we can't force God's hand by what we do. Right? What are the prophets of Baal doing? I mean, they are just, they're going, they're cutting themselves, they're dancing around, they're crying out to Baal, they're, they're, you know, the blood is flowing, they're doing everything they can possibly conceive of to get Baal's attention. I mean, they are just doing everything they can in their power to get a hold of Baal, get, have him listen to them. And what does Elijah do? He offers a simple prayer. He doesn't, have a, he doesn't like sing four songs and make sure one of them's a hymn. He doesn't take communion and then, you know, just ha- give an altar call for anyone who wants to give their lives to the Lord. At this, he doesn't do any of those things. He simply prays to the Lord. And after he's done praying, that smoldering heap of rubble that's left is all the answer he needed. God answered with power from a simple, real prayer. You know, I think in in the church, sometimes we're like, okay, well, if we can just you know, sing the right kind of songs long enough. If we can sing, you know, 
this one song for 15 minutes, and if we can, you know, if we have enough hymns, or if, if we do things this way, if we take communion at this time, if, if, you know, if we just get this outreach going, if we just do this, if, if we have enough children's ministry, I mean, we think of, like, if we just do all this, we plug in this, the right numbers into the equation, God's going to show up at that point. The idea of, if only we, then God would, is not a correct equation. And really, we don't have to have everything figured out. It brings a great relief. We don't have to have everything figured out. We don't have to have everything just in place for the Lord. We don't have to have just the right worship, just the right amount of preaching, just the right kind of preaching from the right books. We don't have to have just the, just the right outreach going. We don't have to have just the right children. We don't have to have any of those things just right for God to show up. God can show up whenever he wants. God shows up on Baal's mountain with one guy, a simple prayer. That's all he needed. God demonstrates power. God can show up in the middle of our weak and feeble prayers. They don't have to be long prayers. They don't have to be eloquent prayers. They don't have to be from, coming from a heart that's, that's so pure and right that this week was just so great, now God's really going to do something for us. It's a meal of broken lives, broken people, in the mess of our lives, in the brokenness of our marriages, in the, in the fallout with our kids, in the, in the frustration with work, in the coworkers who just don't understand. God can show up. God can do a mighty miracle in the middle of just all of our mess of our lives. For Elijah, oh, it was just a simple prayer. Lord, please hear me. Please answer. And God does. God shows up. Lastly, number four, handicaps are no obstacle to the Lord, right? See, what, the, what we know now and what everyone knew then as well is that wet stuff doesn't burn, right? So what does he do? He says, okay, pour a bunch of water on the altar. Okay, now do it again. Okay, now do it again. Wet stuff doesn't burn. I mean, really, Elijah is like his own worst enemy at this point. He keeps like, okay, let's just keep dumping water on this thing, so much so that the entire sacrifice is soaking wet. The trench that he's dug around the altar is completely filled with water, but it's no handicap to the Lord. Doesn't need to be everything, everything doesn't need to be just right. I think about this in my own life. I'm shy. What if my husband or wife isn't serious about serving the Lord? What if I don't know what to say? What if, my, what if I've prayed and nothing's happened? What if, I mean, there's all these things, I think, man, there's all these reasons why in our own lives, why we think, man, God is not going to show up. God's not going to use me. God isn't going to deliver. God isn't going to bring a mighty redemption. Those things are nothing to the Lord. Handicaps are no obstacle to the Lord. None whatsoever. God shows up in power. I want to, I want to close this morning with just the way that the, the passage closes with the, the answer of fire from the Lord to consume the sacrifice. And the people, as the fire is falling and consuming the sacrifice, how do the people respond? 
they fall on their faces before the Lord, and they say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. There is an immediate response from the people because God showed up. God delivered his people. People who are unable to even utter a confession about the Lord, they were silent when Elijah challenged them, now are giving confession to the Lord. What I love about Elijah's prayer is this. He understands something about the Lord. God wasn't just flexing his his sovereign muscle, or just kind of showing off with some miracles. God was doing something in the middle of this display of fire and consumption of the, of the offering. He, Elijah says, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that what, is, what are you doing, God? You are turning their hearts back again. God is in pursuit of people. God is turning their hearts back again. This display of the power of God wasn't just for the sake of God is doing what he wanted to do. It was for a purpose. And the purpose was redemption of people. That he was turning their hearts back again. This answer of fire was was showing that God says, look, I am going to answer you because I am turning their hearts back to me again. This is what God is doing every single week. God answers with fire. See, this has happened before. God's answer of fire. Aaron Aaron and his sons in Leviticus chapter 9, they're building the tabernacle and they're establishing the priesthood and they offer the sacrifice. Fire comes from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. King David in 1 Chronicles builds an altar to the Lord and fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. King Solomon at the dedication of the temple offers a sacrifice. Fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. In each one of those instances, What's taking place is that God is saying that your sacrifice is acceptable to me and I am pleased with what you're doing. Otherwise, God wouldn't have shown up at all. In each one of these instances, the establishment of the the tabernacle, the establishment of the temple, the, the priesthood, all these things, God's saying, look, what you have done is acceptable to me and I am pleased with what you've done. And now here in this, God answers with fire again saying, look, I am here. This is an invitation for you to draw near to me. Even after you have been, even just a couple minutes ago or maybe a couple hours ago, when, when you were offered, would you make a confession about the Lord, everyone remained silent to him. No one could even utter God's name on their lips. And with the fire falling, he is saying, this is an invitation for you to draw near to me. In the middle of your mess. Look, you've got a king who's worshiping Baal. You've got a king's wife, the, the queen of the country, who's the Billy Graham of Baal. She's, she's trying to do all that she can to get people to worship Baal. You've got a people who've completely forsaken the Lord, who are unable to even utter his name, and now God answers with fire and says, draw near to me. I've seen what you've done. I know what you've done. But I'm drawing you back to myself again. That is the good news of what God is doing. If the Lord is God, then follow him. The Lord answers. He is the God. And he's bringing an invitation for a wicked and sinful and rebellious people to draw near to him again. It's a beautiful story of redemption. God is on the throne drawing a people back to himself again a wayward people who've completely lost their way. God is showing his love 
and his mercy and his grace. See, this is the message we not only need to hear for our own lives, but this is the message we bring to everyone we come into contact with. As we come around this this holiday season, celebration of Christmas, there are people's lives who are broken all around us. Even in our own lives, there's brokenness in our own lives. The hope that we have in the Lord and the hope that everyone else has is that Jesus Christ has come into a broken world. A broken, messy, self-destructive world. And he has said, I've made a way for those who have rebelled against me to come near to me. By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, he paid for our sins. And he offers an invitation for each one of us. Just like at that altar on Mount Carmel, there was an invitation to draw near to the Lord. Jesus Christ in the same way says, I've made a way for us on Mount Calvary for you to draw near to me in the middle of your mess. And that by trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we can have new life and new hope. That's the message that we need to hear. But that's the message we bring to a world that is broken and lost. Just like when Jesus came into the world of broken and lostness, we live in a world of broken and lostness. We bring this same message, this invitation to draw near to the Lord. He has made a way. God has made a way for us. I want to close and just pray. And I hope this morning there's an encouragement for us that no matter where we are in our lives with our work, our families, our children, our marriages, even in our own walk with the Lord, that there is an invitation to draw near to Him. That we don't have to have just the right circumstances, just the right amount of people. We don't have to have just the right kind of time and place to meet with God that anywhere, any place, anytime, God can show up and bring a mighty deliverance, reveal himself, and draw people back to himself again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you this morning for the gift of relationship. Jesus, thank you for the offer, the invitation to draw near to you. And just like the Israelite people on Mount Carmel so many thousands of years ago had the invitation to draw near, so you are drawing us near to you today. You are offering us the gift of relationship and life. God, I, I pray that we would wholeheartedly receive that gift of life, the offer of forgiveness of sins. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to declare the good news of who you are. God, whether we are in church, whether we are at a Bible study, whether we are at Three Floyds, whether we are at a card night, whether we are at work, whether we are at school, whether we are at a family get-together, God, the good news, God, permeates everything, no matter where we are. And God, you can show up when and whenever you want. So Lord Jesus, I pray, God, help us to trust ourselves to you. Pray you'd help us to walk in your ways, to honor you with our lives. God, and see you move in miraculous ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.